All right, well, this morning we are continuing with our series in Matthew. And if you recall, just to give you a little bit of context, going back to Matthew chapter 4, before the Sermon on the Mount is set up in 5, 6, and 7, Matthew explains the ministry of Jesus this way. He says in verses 23 to 24, And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And so what Matthew is doing here is he's establishing that Jesus has a two-part ministry of preaching and teaching, and then a second part of healing and miracles. And from this verse, Matthew goes into, uh, as you recall, the first great discourse or teaching segment of Jesus, which is the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Mountainside, which we've spent the last several weeks unpacking, where Jesus describes how we are recognized as his kingdom citizens and how we conduct life in the kingdom relating to each other and relating to God. And that sermon or that teaching ends in chapter 7. And it ends, as we have just sort of wrapped up that discourse teaching of Jesus, it ends with a statement of Jesus' authority in his teaching. Matthew 7, 28 to 29 says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So now, as we enter into chapter 8 and 9, Matthew is going to unfold for us some glimpses of the authority of Jesus in his works, not in his teaching, but in his works or in his miracles. And the miracles of Jesus serve to authenticate his identity as the Messiah. They authenticate the truth and authority of his teaching, and they foreshadow the in-breaking kingdom of God that is even now pressing into this earthly kingdom. It's emerging in this present age through Jesus, and it will be consummated or made complete and final in the age to come. And so we have seen the teaching ministry of Jesus, and now we will see his hands-on ministry of healing and reconciliation as Jesus shows us a precursor of the kingdom to come and the kingdom that is breaking in. And so we're going to read in Matthew 8, and we're beginning Matthew 8 now, uh, these verses. And I'm just going to pray uh, as we begin to read these verses and study God's word this morning. Father God, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching that we have received from it in the weeks that have come to this point. We thank you for the amazing teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And now as we shift from teaching to his works, Father, I pray that we would see just as clearly that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one with authority, that he is one with power, and that he is one with compassion that comes to reach his people. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4, reads this way. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that... 
you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now that's our text for today. And as usual, there's a lot more going on here than what appears on the surface. Especially more than what appears to our non-Jewish 21st century eyes. But some of what is going on in this text, Matthew has already prepared us for in his gospel. If you remember back to chapter 4 of Matthew, we saw that Jesus has been identified as a new and better Adam. He is a better king than David. He is a better Israel. He is a better Moses. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, just as Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. And then Moses was on the mountain of Sinai for 40 days to receive the law. And Jesus goes up to a mountainside to deliver his sermon and deliver the new law of the new kingdom. And just as Moses came down from the mountain in Exodus 34:29, and the people of Israel were crowded around him but were afraid of him, now Jesus comes down off of the mountain with great crowds following him, but no longer in fear, but in wonder. Matthew opens this up by saying, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And then it says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So as these great crowds of people follow Jesus, he is approached in the midst of this crowd very surprisingly. And the surprise of it is bound up in Matthew using the word behold. And the word behold, when you see it, especially in the Gospels, means look with an exclamation point after it. You always say behold or look when something unusual is happening. In Matthew, we see, behold, the virgin will be with child. That's something spectacular. Or Matthew says again, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. Or behold, the heavens opened and a voice spoke. So all through the Gospels, whenever you run into behold, this is always something surprising happening. This is look with an exclamation mark. And the surprising thing is this leper approaches Jesus. Now, what the Bible refers to as leprosy covers a wide range of possible skin conditions that are contagious. It may have literally been leprosy or Hansen's disease. It could have been something else that was similar, a degenerative skin disease. But the fact that it's identified as leprosy carries a significant meaning in this text, as we will shortly see. But we don't have to be first century Jews or be particularly steeped in biblical knowledge to get the main point here. This is a person with disease. And diseased, contagious persons are not supposed to be interacting with clean and proper society. Now, there may be some very particular coronavirus applications to this, okay? And it's no surprise that this is our text this morning, but I'm not going to unpack all of those COVID-19 references or applications today. That's not the intention of why Matthew wrote this text. It doesn't mean that there's not anything that we could take out of this in terms of how Jesus interacts with this man as Christians. But Matthew did not write this with COVID-19 in mind, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time there. But the reality is, this is a contagious person Lepers were outcasts. They were unclean physically, but they were also considered unclean spiritually. A Jewish rabbi would normally not even touch a Gentile or a non-Jew willingly, 
and would have to purify themselves after even interacting with a Gentile, let alone would a Jewish rabbi be touched or touch a leprous person. This is unthinkable. But here is this leper who comes and kneels and calls Jesus Lord and then phrases a request to Jesus very specifically. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. This is an amazing scene that's unfolding here, and we can break it down into four simple parts. First, let's just recognize the title Lord given to Jesus. The leper does not call him rabbi or teacher or any other name, but he calls him Lord. The leper immediately acknowledges the lordship and the authority of Jesus. And that's the starting place of his request. He's come and he says, you are God and I am not. You have the authority, I do not. My future health and restoration are in your power, not in my power. I can't change my situation, but you can. That's the significance of Lord. And then he says, if you will, you can. These are parts two and three. The leper distinguishes between the will of Jesus and the ability of Jesus. He admits that he knows that Jesus can heal him. There is no question of Jesus' ability, which is a staggering thought in itself. This leper has no doubt that this man standing before him has fully capable of curing his uncurable disease. But he also knows, despite the power and authority that Jesus has, that the cure is dependent on the will of Jesus. The question is, will Jesus cleanse him? And then he says, make me clean. And fourthly here, we can observe that the leper concludes not by saying, you can make me healthy or you can cure my disease. He says specifically, you can make me clean. And as Matthew records this event, and as Jesus responds to the man, we see that the words are not accidental. This is very deliberately a living parable of the spiritual cleansing that Jesus has come to do. The spiritual cleansing that is required to participate in this new inbreaking kingdom of God. There's something physical that Jesus is going to do here that is a sign of his authority, yes, but it is also a picture of what needs to take place spiritually. And now we see Jesus' response. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Now, remembering that there is a big crowd around watching all this take place, we should keep in mind just how staggering all that is happening would be to that crowd. We have to put ourselves there in their place, watching as observers, And as much as we are able, feel the impact of what Jesus is doing and saying as he intended them to feel that impact. Jesus is saying these things so that the crowd that is watching will hear his words and will understand what he is communicating to this leper and therefore to his disciples and to them. And so we have to put ourselves there with him to get the full impact of his words and his actions. And so as this crowd, this big crowd is there watching, and as his disciples are watching, he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. So first of all, in terms of this crowd and them watching this, what is a Jewish rabbi risking as he willingly now reaches out to touch a leper? Does he not know that he will be unclean? Does he not realize that he is risking physical sickness and even worse, 
that as a Jew and as a rabbi that he is risking spiritual uncleanness? What is going to happen to his reputation? He is pressing against every social and religious norm here to willingly engage with a contagious person who clearly God is judging for his sin. This is going to carry even more significance when we look a little further into the law and leprosy in just a moment. But very simply, in Jesus' action in the crowd towards this leper this way, we can see this. Jesus is not afraid of impurity. Jesus is not put off by our unrighteousness. Jesus is not dismayed by our need for healing. If you're hearing this today and reading it and maybe for the first time and you don't know what sort of God Jesus is, know this simple fact. Jesus is full of compassion. He's willing to reach out to you no matter what you have done. This leper was the worst version of humanity the Jewish people could think of. Cursed by God and contagious and unclean, yet Jesus is willing to reach out to him. Jesus is willing to reach out to you. No matter what you may have done or how you may feel about yourself, Jesus sees you differently. Just as Jesus saw this leper differently than his disciples saw the leper, differently than the crowd saw the leper, Jesus saw this leper completely differently and he is not afraid of whatever it is that you have done or how you might feel about yourself. He reaches out to touch. And by touching the leper, you see, Jesus takes on the leper's impurity. Jesus participates in the uncleanness of the leper. Jesus joins him in his alienation. When Jesus touches the leper, it's as good as being a leper himself. And we will see this with greater understanding shortly as well. When Jesus points the leper and the crowds and us towards the deeper reality of what is actually taking place. But Jesus is not afraid to identify. In fact, Jesus will identify with our impurity. He will identify with our unrighteousness. Jesus will identify with our sin, ultimately, as we will see on the cross. And after reaching out and touching the leper, Jesus speaks to him and he says, I will be clean. You call me Lord. You trust my ability to cleanse you. But you ask if I will cleanse you. And Jesus says, yes, I will. So be clean. It's just four simple words that changed the life of this man in every way imaginable. He was an outcast. He was reviled. He was living in poverty so deep that he had no power of his own to rescue himself from it. With one act of faith in Jesus, he's miraculously transformed into full citizenship, being able to take his place among his Jewish brothers and sisters like he never could before. Because Jesus will respond to those who call on His name. Now at this point in the text, this is a great point for us to look at the will of God in this matter of cleansing spiritually and reconciling and adopting us spiritually into His kingdom. And so I'm going to read Romans 10, 10 to 14. And as I read these verses, I just want you to think about these verses that the Apostle Paul has written about the cleansing that comes to us spiritually. And I want us to think as we do that about this leper and what has just transpired with Jesus. The Apostle Paul speaks about the means by which we are cleansed and the will of God in our cleansing. What is the will of God? Romans 10, 10 to 14 says this, For with the heart one believes and is justified. That means counted as righteous in spite of our sin. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
that's rescued from our uncleanness, which we have no power to rescue ourselves from. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. You see, the leper believed with his heart that Jesus was Lord and could heal him. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. Or we could say there, Paul could have said instead, we could say clean and unclean, because that's what it would mean to a Jewish person between Jew and Greek. It would mean clean or unclean. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The leper called Jesus Lord and called on Him to be cleansed, and He was saved. All who call on Jesus in faith will be saved. Jesus says, I will be cleansed. And Paul goes on, he says, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So Paul says people won't truly call on Him unless they truly believe in Him. So how will they call unless they believe? And then he says, how are they to believe in Him who they have never heard? He says people need to hear about Jesus as this leper did. This leper clearly heard about Jesus, found out who He was, knew who He was, believed in who He was, and called on Him. People need to hear about Jesus in order to approach Him in belief. And then Paul says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So speaking the Gospel is the means by which God calls people to believe. And all of this that Paul has outlined here in Romans 10, 10-14 has happened in the life of this leper. So there is an application for us Christians here as well as we read the end part there of Paul that we need to speak the Gospel. We need to bring people to Jesus. We need to introduce them to Jesus so they have opportunity to believe on who He is, call Him Lord and believe and be cleansed and be saved. As Matthew said in chapter 4, all kinds of people were bringing the sick and those who needed healing to Jesus. We need to be bringing people to Jesus so they have a chance to be healed. But back to our account now of the leper. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So as this leper humbled himself before the Lord of all creation and put his faith and his hope entirely on the authority and the power that he knew Jesus had, in an instant he was made clean. Keeping in mind here that this instance of healing, Jesus is accomplishing something in the physical realm that is meant to point us towards the spiritual. We need to remember at this point that the miracles of Jesus and the Miracles that He is performing have, are to serve to authenticate His identity as the Messiah and to authenticate the truth and authority of His teaching and to foreshadow the inbreaking kingdom of God. That's the purpose of chapters 8 and 9 in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the purpose of Jesus' miraculous ministry. In chapter 9, Jesus will say to the paralytic man, who you remember was lowered from the ceiling or the roof of a house that he is in on his pallet, He says to that man as he lies there paralyzed, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. You see, these these miracles that Jesus is performing have a very specific purpose in His ministry. They are being used so that we know that He is the Son of Man and that He is the authority to forgive sins, that what He's doing physically is accomplishing something spiritually. But I just want to pause here because there's two very practical things we need to address in this account on the physical side of things that will mess us up a little bit if we get them wrong. 
You see, the man, the leper, had faith and, and Jesus was willing for him to be clean. And the man was miraculously healed. And so we read that and we think, does, does that mean that Jesus always wills that every Christian with faith always will be healed? If, if that's what the text is saying, then where are all the miraculous healings today? Or, or does it mean that if we are not healed, it's because we don't have enough faith? Is that why people are not healed today? Because our faith is weak. And so we have to be careful trying to let one text prove everything that we think it needs to prove in this area of healing. If we get the miracles of Jesus and what He was doing with them confused with the gift of healing or the grace of God in healing people, then it will lead us to some errors. And those errors will cause us harm. And so let's just step out of this account for a minute and just address that larger issue of God's healing among His people without it confusing this specific account of Jesus healing this leper and why He's doing that. When we consider the whole counsel of Scripture, we do see in the New Testament many miraculous healings. The vast majority of those miraculous healings are by Jesus Himself as He is the perfect picture of God and He is the perfect worker of new kingdom power in the world. It's intentional that Jesus be the consummate personification of the better Adam, the better David, the better Moses, the Messiah. But if we keep reading in the New Testament, we see that Peter and Paul and other apostles and disciples have healing ministries as well as the Gospel went forth. And we know that healing did not stop at any particular point in the church history that we have records of. Healing continues to happen. Indeed, we don't believe that the power of God to heal has stopped even today. But we do acknowledge what the leper acknowledged and what every apostle acknowledged after him in the New Testament. You remember the leper said, if you will it, you can cleanse me. If it is God's will, we can be healed. But it is not always God's will that we physically be healed. Romans 10.10 tells us that it is always His will to save those who believe and call on Him spiritually, but it is not always His will right now to save everyone physically. And that idea demands a sermon of its own, but we can simply and briefly look at even the Apostle Paul himself who healed many and even brought some back from the dead, asked for healing of his own thorn in the flesh, but it was not the will of God to heal him. It was the will of God to leave the thorn in Paul's flesh and not remove it in 2 Corinthians 12.7. And God explains that He would not remove the thorn of pre of in the flesh of Paul so that Paul would not become conceited. God even told him why he left him unhealed. And I'm not sure he always tells us why he doesn't heal us. But we also know about people who worked directly with Paul, like Trophimus, who he had to leave behind him when he traveled for ministry because he was sick in 2 Timothy 4.20. And Timothy, who Paul advised to take a little wine for your stomach and frequent ailments in 1 Timothy 5.23. So it is not always God's will to heal every ailment among every one of His servants all the time. It's not always God's will to heal every disease. Jesus healed hundreds, probably thousands with a specific purpose, but that is not always the way God is working. Nor does it have to do with faith and our faith entirely. Paul suffered not only the thorn in the flesh, but shipwrecks and beatings and attacks by robbers and wild animals. But that was not because he lacked faith. 
Romans 8, 18 to 23 says that God has subjected this creation to futility in hope that eventually creation will be set free from the corruption and obtain the glory of the children of God. Paul says in those verses that all of creation groans and not just creation, but Paul says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan as we await adoption. Paul's saying this body will suffer. All of this creation will suffer. The creation will groan. We will groan for now. Healing does not always mark the lives even of saints. But as God wills and as we trust, there are times when God will use healing to accomplish His purpose as well. So it is not necessarily the will of God to always heal, nor can you necessarily say it is because of our lack of faith that we don't get healed. God works His healing in the lives of His people when He wills for His purpose. So back to what Jesus is doing with this healing. Matthew has already shown us something true and beautiful about Jesus. That Jesus is full of compassion to reach out Himself, to touch us in our unrighteousness, to identify with us in our sin. And Jesus is willing to heal, to make us clean. That in itself is already a beautiful truth for us to take away. But now we get a little bit of a bonus sermon here. We get to go a little bit deeper because it doesn't end there. I just want to put the same emphasis on the spiritual realities taking place that Jesus does. There are wider vistas and deeper truths about God and Jesus laying here. And just in case any of his disciples or any of the Jewish people watching somehow were missing what was going on, Jesus kind of bolds and underlines what's taking place between him and the leper and what is going on. He, he puts an exclamation mark at the end of this so that we will see the deeper beauties that he is unveiling. He finally says this to the leper. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, Jesus often tells people that he heals or casts out demons of to not make big news about it because it's not yet the time for his crucifixion. I'm not sure about the success of that tactic. He just healed the leper in front of a gigantic crowd of people, and I'm sure the news is going to get out. Matthew has already said that his fame has spread as far as Syria. So while I know that Jesus says not to tell anyone, I admit I'm ignorant as to why he says that exactly or the success of it. But that's not the main point. The point here is that Jesus instructs this former leper to show himself to the priests and to offer the gift that Moses commanded. And now this is the point where we really have to get into the shoes of the Jewish audience and have that land on us the way it would land on them. They would know what Jesus is referring to, and I'm guessing most of us don't really know unless you've recently been studying Leviticus and not skipping what you think of as the boring parts. Jesus here is referring to Leviticus chapter 14 where we find the law for cleansing lepers. The first 20 verses are what we want to look at very briefly. And for the sake of time, I won't even read them all. I hope, and in your life groups, you will take the time to read them and, and do the homework 
as it's in this command that Jesus gives the leper and in the details of what these laws picture that we see what Jesus is really driving at. This is what Jesus wants his audience to see. It's what he wants us to see. It's certainly what he wanted the priests at the temple to see, although I'm sure they didn't. In short, here is what happens under the law in Leviticus chapter 14 when a leper is healed. The priest shall go outside the encampment of Israelites to where the lepers are surviving on the margins, and the priest will look to see if the leper is healed. That's verse 3. Then they take two live birds, and one bird is killed in an earthen jar over fresh water, verse 5, and the second bird is taken together with a bit of cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop twigs, and it is dipped in with those three items in the blood of the first bird, in verse 6. And then the former leper is sprinkled seven times with the blood of the slain bird as well. And then he is pronounced clean, and the live bird with the sliver of cedar and the twig of hyssop and the scarlet thread is released to fly free in verse 7. And then the one is declared clean, lives outside his tent for seven days, shaves off all his hair, and is declared clean again. And then he offers a special guilt offering in 10 to 20, which we won't go into those details. I'm hoping this doesn't apply to COVID-19 because we may have to live outside our house for seven days and shave off all our hair. But be that as it may, this is what Jesus, this is what Moses laid out as the law for the cleansing of lepers and the law that Jesus refers to specifically of the leper. So, so what does all this mean? This sounds weird, right? You know, what we really want to focus in here is, is this startling connection Jesus is making to what just transpired with himself and the leper and the connection he's making to the prophetic picture of his own birth and death and resurrection pictured in declaring leprosy cleansed in Old Testament law. This is what's happening here. This is what's taking place as this leper is cleansed under Old Testament law. The priest is, leaves the temple of God. He leaves the holy place. And he goes outside the camp to where the unclean are. And he brings the person who has been found clean into the temple and two identical birds are used to picture for us the atonement for sin that is to come. One bird is put into an earthen vessel over pure water. This is a picture of the incarnation of Jesus with his spirit into an earthly body. God and man together in one flesh. And then that bird that is in the earthen vessel is slain. And the live bird is dipped in its blood so that the live bird equates itself now to the bird that is dead. It now counts itself, identifies with that dead bird. And the live bird has tied to it with a scarlet thread, a bit of cedar wood and hyssop, just as Jesus will be nailed to a wooden cross and our sins, which are scarlet, will hold him there. And he will be the blood of the Passover lamb, which was spread over the doorposts of the Israelites in Egypt with a hyssop branch in Exodus 12:22. And hyssop is the same branch that the sponge of vinegar is lifted to Jesus on the cross. And the leper who is cleansed is sprinkled with the blood of the slain bird as a sign of the slain bird atoning for his sin, while the live bird, also identified in blood with the slain bird, is set free to fly away, escaping death. Let me tell you, 
All of this ritual and sacrifice is known to most of the crowd that is watching what Jesus does with this leper. It is certainly known to all of the priests who Jesus is sending this leper to testify to. He says, go to the priests and tell them what's happened and offer the ceremony, this offering that Moses commanded. However, what will utterly shock the priests is that they will have to do it because it may be one of the only times they've ever done this in the history of the temple. There is no Old Testament record of anyone being cured of leprosy apart from God doing it miraculously. And that was only three times. And so if a leper shows up at the temple healed and tells the priests that he's been healed and cleansed of his leprosy and that he has to perform this ceremony in order to give this offering to God for the cleansing of his leprosy, And these priests have to dust off these particular pages of Leviticus to make sure they're remembering their Torah classes correctly and then perform this ceremony with the birds and the cedar and the hyssop and the scarlet thread. This is something incredible to them. These laws have been on the books for centuries and now they finally get to put it into practice. Something new is happening here. This is what Jesus is pointing to. Even John the Baptist was at one point beginning to doubt if Jesus really was the Messiah. And so he sent men to ask if Jesus really was the promised one. And when Jesus answers them in Luke 7.22, he includes the healing of lepers and other miracles of healing and the proclamation of the gospel as the sign that he is the Messiah. This healing of a leper as this first miracle that Jesus works after the Sermon on the Mount is not accidental. This is a clear sign that he is the Messiah, that he has the power and the authority to forgive sins, that he is the one who will be put in an earthen vessel and who will be tied to a cross by our sin, whose blood will atone for our uncleanness and whose resurrection will prove the promise of God and the freedom that we have from death. This is what Jesus is teaching even as he performs this miracle of healing. By Matthew recording it here for us, he's underlining in bold the identity of Jesus. You have heard him teach. You have now seen him heal a leper. And you know from the law what this means. Or rather, you should know from the law what this means. Because all of Scripture, especially the law and the prophets, speak of and point to Jesus. Now, we didn't need to know all of that to see what Matthew was saying, right? The words of the leper and the actions of Jesus were enough on their own to tell us that this Messiah is not like any other God. The gods of this world hold themselves distant. The gods of this world are on Mount Olympus or somewhere far from humanity or they exist in their pristine heavens. The gods of this world tell mankind that we must serve them. But Jesus leaves His mountain. He comes down into the crowds. He goes out to the marginalized who cannot serve even themselves, let alone serve God. And Jesus reaches out to touch them and identify with them and to serve them. Mark 10.45 says, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. But if we do look deeper into what Jesus had to say to this man, he points us towards even more astounding mysteries that God had planned long before Jesus' birth and long before Jesus' ministry. 
that God had planned and pointed towards this reality of atonement that is coming to atone for our sin in this very specific way on the cross. Now, we are not first century Jews. And so this text does not land on us the way it really should. But let's try to leap from this incredible picture of Jesus, the high priest, leaving the temple, leaving the holy place, leaving the camp to enter in among those who are unclean, to be sacrificed by whose blood we will be saved and to rise from the grave as a witness to the faithfulness of God to set us free. Let's let Romans 10.13 land on us the way it should from Jesus' interaction with this leper. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The answer of Jesus when we call out to him is, I will be cleansed. Call on the name of Jesus, he will respond. It is the will of Jesus to cleanse us. He has the authority to cleanse us. If we ask in faith, he will set us free. Free from the uncleanness of our sin. Free to return as citizens to his kingdom, even as sons and daughters adopted into his family. And then, as we follow Jesus, we too must go outside the camp. We must touch those who seem untouchable. We must risk the reprisal of people who think that we should keep better company in order to reach those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. There's just four simple words and then an instruction to go to the temple. But this miracle of Jesus to cleanse this leper and where he positions it right after his teaching is not an accident at all. Jesus is underlining and bolding and exclamation pointing, this is who I am. You can come to me no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what other people think of you, no matter how unclean or unspiritual or unreligious or unrighteous or unworthy you think you are, our compassionate God reaches out to touch and to say, I will be cleansed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching of Jesus. And we thank you for the work of Jesus. That he did not just sit in an ivory tower and pronounce you know, great words of wisdom upon the land. He came down from the mountain. He walked with the crowds. And not just with the crowds but he reached out and he touched the untouchable and the unclean. Father, we have all been in that position at one point, those of us who know you. We had a moment when we recognized our uncleanness. We had a moment when we recognized that there was nothing we could do to make ourselves whole. There was nothing we could do to fix our own sickness or get ourselves out of our poverty. We needed your power. We needed you to do it. And we called on you. And so, Father, I just pray that any who need to call on your name would call even this day and to know that it is your will that they be cleansed. And, Father, for those of us who are believers now, that we would emulate our Savior, that we would become Christ-like in this manner, that we would reach out and touch those that others might think untouchable, that we would reach them with the good news of the gospel so that they can hear and they can know of the power and the authority and the reality of Jesus Christ so they have opportunity to call on him and be saved. 
Father, give us this by your power in Christ's name. Amen.